All right, well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you all here at 140 Clark. And to everyone watching online, thanks for participating with us this morning. And uh, it really, wow, what a great time of worship to be able to magnify God and to know his presence and to worship him. My name's Joe Crummy, in case I haven't met you. And I'll be speaking today from the book of Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. So we're going to read that in a moment. But first of all, I'm going to ask you a question. What is a common saying or response if I were to say this to you? So say, I was going to say, all right, good luck on writing your exam today. All those in high school, aren't you glad that in June, I didn't have to say that. But if, imagine, pretend for a second. If I said to you, good luck writing your exam today, what might you say in response to that? I'll give you a second. Or I might say this, all the best on your driver's test this week, because that's kind of reopened now. There might be a long lineup for it, but all the best on your driver's test this week. Or maybe I might say to you, hey, good luck at your game today. You have to use your imagination because a lot of these things aren't happening right now, but bear with me. So if I were to say to you, hey, good luck at your game today. Or maybe I'd say this, good luck at your job interview. If I were to say any one of those things to you, Help me out. What might be a response you might say? I've already been called out on using good luck. Okay, so that's uh, already. What might you say? Thanks, I'm going to need it. Okay, that's a good one. Nice and loud. That's actually not the answer I'm looking for, but I'm going to say because Angela said that's even a better answer than what I was looking for. You might say something like this. I'll help you out. And for those at home, you might say, thanks. I need it. You might say this. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try my best. I'm going to try my hardest. That's exactly it. I hope you wouldn't answer. I'm going to try my worst. <laughs> Please don't answer that. If you're going to answer that, just keep that to yourself. Okay. You're not going to say, I'm going to do my best mediocre job today. You're going to say, I'm going to try my best. So good luck at the game today. Thank you. I'm going to try my best. Good luck on your driver's license again. Thank you. I'm going to try my best. Good luck at your job interview. Thanks. I'm going to try my best. I heard that back there. The hecklers are already here. So here's the question I have for you. If I were to say this, all right. Good luck in meeting the God of the universe who's all-knowing, all-powerful, almighty, creator, sustainer of all things, Lord of heaven and earth, like consuming fire, everything we've been singing about this morning. If I were to say, hey, good luck meeting God today, or if I said, hey, good luck getting into heaven, trying to get into heaven, or good luck at living your best life, hoping that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, how would that answer fit? I might go back to Angela. Thanks, I'm going to need <laughs> How would you answer? Are you gonna, would our answer be the same? You're going to meet Almighty God, and you're going to say, hey, I'm going I'm to do my best. I'm going I'm to get into heaven. Hey, I'm going to try my hardest. Hey, I'm going to try to live a good life. I'm going to do my best. 
So a question this morning, and as we open up God's Word, because this is some of the things Paul's talking about, some questions we can ask this morning are this. What can make a person, and I'm going to make it more personal, what can make you and I confident that we can actually have a relationship with God? What can make us confident that we can actually be in God's presence? So I'm not just talking shrinking it. What can actually make us confident that we can have a relationship with God? What can actually give us confidence that we know when we die here on this earth, we're going to live in heaven? What can give us confidence in that? What can make a person confident that we're not just wasting our lives, that our lives here on planet earth mean something? How can we have confidence that God knows us and that God actually loves us and that God actually cares for us? Today's reading from the Bible actually deals with these issues. So let's read Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to go back, even though Jody did a great job on verse 1, and Mark wrestled through some things in the next couple of verses. We're going to read from verse 1 of chapter 3 to verse 9, and again, just remember the context. Paul helped establish a church in Philippi, and now he's in prison, and he's writing to the church, and we're reading his letter to this church that applies to us today, because it's God's word. So let's begin at verse 1, Philippians chapter 3. We read this. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcisions. He's writing to the Christians. For it's we as Christians who are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Hmm. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on law, faultless, or some translations say blameless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So as Mark was talking about last week, some people were trying to add some to-dos to the list of putting your faith in Jesus Christ to have a permanent relationship with God. In verse 3, Paul says Christians are marked by the Holy Spirit. We boast in Jesus Christ, and we don't put any confidence in the flesh. We don't put any confidence in our achievements, in our to-dos. Our best is nothing compared to God's best. And then Paul says this, but if you're thinking about it this way, if you think you have reasons to put confidence in your good works, on your best effort, on working your hardest, Paul says, actually, I have 
to boast more than anyone. So let's look at Paul's, and I brought, I'm going to use golf as my helper here this morning. So, and what Gabby shared about the checklist was, whew, perfect, because I've got a scorecard here, and I'm going to talk a little things about golf. And so, if you think about Paul, he's saying, hey, on the scorecard of life, I'm going to check a lot of boxes. I'm going to come in par, I might actually birdie, I might even have an eagle on some of these things on this checklist. So let's look at his scorecard and how he's going to check things off. He says this, first of all, my family heritage, my lineage. So Paul says, hey, I was circumcised, I'm a real Jew, it's proven by my family tree, the covenants are ours, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the promises, the patriarchs, I'm in that group. So my nationality, my family line, check, I'm in. He says this, regarding the law, I'm a Pharisee, I'm a specialist, I'm an expert, I'm trained by the best teachers, I know people, I know the best teachers, and my profession is well respected. Check. Third, he says, zeal, man, I'm so devoted to live into conformity to what I believe are God's regulations that I even right down to the very smallest detail in everyday life, I'm doing it. Check. Performance. I kept the law. I was faultless. I was blameless. My achievements were spotless. Check. Wow. That's a pretty good scorecard. That's a pretty good resume. What an achievement. Like, this is really good things here. He was keeping God's law. At the end of Paul's life, the track he was on, I'm sure he would get a Lifetime Achievement Award for good behavior. <clears throat> He's checking a lot of boxes. So what's changed? Because Paul was saying, that was my life. And then Paul's saying, all of these ceremonies, all of these privileges, all of these labors, all of these works, all of these deeds, all of this striving, doing my best, working my hardest, when I add them all up, they equaled zero. Actually, Paul says it didn't even come to zero. It actually resulted in a loss. Paul had an encounter with Jesus that changed his perspective. And Paul now understood that his scorecard, his resume, his certificate of achievement was based on his standard, his judgment, and not God's. He was doing it based on his best, our best. But our best, our working our hardest, as Gabby was just sharing in that word, about checking things off. Our performance and our achievement does not give us security and confidence to have a relationship with God. Why? Here are just two quick reasons. Why does our performance and why did Paul's performance not add up? First of all, Paul knew this. Even if Paul, up until this age, had lived a perfect life, that's a big if. Even if he had lived a perfect life up to that time, guess what he'd have to keep on doing every single day? He'd have to go on living a perfect life. It's like going along in golf, and I'm birdie, birdie, which is really good, in case you don't understand golf. Hold in one, eagle, I'm doing really good, okay? I'm doing really good, trust me, all right? And you're going along, and you're like 18 holes, and you're like 17 holes, you're like, 
I'm acing this course. But on the 18th hole, does anyone know what scoring a snowman is in golf? A snowman is an eight. And trust me, there are, that's not good, okay? And you score an eight. Guess what it just has done? It's ruined your perfect score. So Paul living a perfect life, the pressure of every day going, I can't mess up, I can't screw up, because one thing that I get wrong ruins the perfect score. Here's the second thing, and I think this is probably more where I would be coming from. Our scorecard that we keep, it's, we're keeping score. <laughs> I'm in control of the scorecard. And can I tell you this? There's a reason why I keep score with a pencil and an eraser. Because <laughs> I like to change the score. <laughs> and I'll give that illustration in a moment. So when we give account of our life, when we weigh our own motives and our actions, we give our own verdict of our life. And that can be skewed a couple of different ways. We can overestimate how good we're doing or we can underestimate and disqualify ourselves. But basically, we're both the defender and the judge of our lives. And if we're honest, do you think that maybe God, who is all-knowing, all-seeing, holy, powerful, might have a different perspective of our lives compared to our prejudiced, partial self-knowledge? Do you think there might be a difference. Well, let me give you an illustration here in a moment, but let's read this from Alex Moiter, who's one of the commentaries that we've been using. He says this, quote, in particular, we might award ourselves a high pass mark by excusing or overlooking our inner defections from the path of obedience. And he gives the illustration of Paul in Romans 7, where Paul says, outwardly, I was doing great. And he talks about in Romans 7 how he had the sin of being covetous, he was coveting other people. You wouldn't know it, because where is it? It's in here and in here. So Paul's saying, whew, even if I look good on the outside, there are not some good things going on, on the inside. A certificate of good behavior, which we have awarded to ourselves, is not enough to give us confidence as we face the judgment of God, end quote. Because if we self-judge, as I said, we can be either overconfident or we're so paralyzed by shame that we just disqualify ourselves. So here's my golf illustration, and it's funny, yet not funny, because it's going to reveal a few things about me and my heart, okay? So, first of all, Peter, I went golfing this week, and I went with uh, somebody I didn't know, and what do you think the first question they asked me was this? Are you a good golfer? How do you answer that? It depends on how you define good. So, let me do a little test here, okay? How many of you here today have ever been golfing before? Put your hand up. Wow, quite a few of you. Okay, that's impressive. Okay, how many of you own your own clubs? Put your, keep your hand up. Okay, that narrowed it down very quickly. All right. Um, how, how many of you have ever had a dad who played golf? Put your hand up. Okay. How many of you have had a dad that had a hole-in-one? Anyone? I'm looking better all the time here. How many of you have had a dad that had a hole-in-one twice? I'm looking. I'm a good golfer compared to you guys. Because <laughs> I golf. I have my own clubs. I had a dad who golfed. He had a hole-in-one. Twice he had a hole-in-one. Okay. So, 
I'm just doing a little comparison here, and I'm saying, I think compared to most of you, I'm going to give myself, I'm going to say I'm a pretty good golfer. Okay, here's the real life test. This week, I went golfing with two friends, Mike and Matt, 18 holes. And can I just say that God has created golf purely as a way of testing our character. <laughs> I don't know if there's any other sport like it that tests your inner character. And I will, and I'm looking at Wilf Pilgrim watching at home, right, Wilf? You understand this. So, even if you don't understand golf, hopefully you can understand some of the things I'm going to talk about. You keep score on a scorecard. Remember the pencil? So you're writing down every hole. You have to count how many strokes, how many times you hit the ball to get the ball in the hole. It's a stupid game. I don't even understand why I even play it. It's just utter frustration. But we're supposed to be having a good time. Okay. So here's how I keep score. This is, I'm being personal and accountable and transparent with you because I know none of you would ever do this, but this is how I keep score, okay? This is my reasoning for keeping score the way I do. First of all, you have to understand, I don't play golf very much. And the course we were on was like a big course. Like, and I'm like, you know what? I haven't played very much and the guys I'm playing with play every couple of days. So I feel <laughs> I deserve <laughs> a couple of strokes taken off because I don't play very often compared to them. Are you following my reasoning? You're supposed to say, Ben's giving me a thumbs up, thank you. Someone's understanding and saying, I would do that. Joe deserves a few strokes off because I don't play very often, okay? Here we go. Also, the course we played on, I haven't played in years, so I kind of forgot where some of the hazards were. So, I lost a couple of golf balls, but I'm like, you know what? These guys play here every couple of days. They know where everything is. I don't. So, merciful me is going to take a few strokes off because I haven't played this course in a long time and I kind of forgot where I was going. Okay, this happened. Buddy yelled just as I was putting, and so I was going to actually take a few shots from here, but I don't want to break Dave's iPad, and I don't want to hit Peter, I don't want to hit Peter or Alice way back there, so I won't, but anyways, um, I was going to... So, I was putting, and Buddy on the next screen yelled, and if you're ever there, you're concentrating, and so, and just as you go to hit when someone yells, it just, and my ball went, well, folks, seriously, that's, that's not my fault, it's not my fault, so guess what I did? I did a do-over, I'm going to do it again, that saved me a couple of strokes as well. I lost a couple of balls, but here's the, re here's the reality, folks. The course really isn't in that great a shape. And that grass should have been mowed more than it was. And whoever put water in all of these different, seriously, bad design, not my fault, okay? When I lost the golf ball, I couldn't quite remember, is that a one-stroke penalty or a two-stroke? I think it's only a one-stroke <laughs> penalty. Now here's the thing that really got me going, is I can't believe Mike and Matt, who golf all the time, weren't following the rules. So I'm pretty sure a couple of times, I don't think they said the right score. I was quite disappointed. 
because I had legitimate excuses. So what's the point? My rules, my accounting, my standards, my score, my me doing it. Now here's the real thing when you golf. And Wilf, who's in tournaments, who we know would understand this. When you're in a tournament and you're playing by official rules, guess what? There are sheriffs out there. And they're called a course marshal. And guess what? They watch everything you do. And sometimes you break the rules and you didn't even know that rule even existed. And they're like, two strokes for that. I didn't even know what I did. And they know if you lost the golf ball. There's a rule book, and it's a thick rule book. And it's a lot to memorize, and it's a lot to understand. And guess what? In a tournament, guess where your score is posted? Way up high for everyone to see. And guess what? You're not the only one keeping score. There's someone else making sure that you're keeping the right score. So am I a good golfer? Well, compared to some I am, Barb's going like, no. <laughs> you're a dishonest golfer, I know that. Compared to many, I'm a good golfer. However, compared to being told this, Joe, in order for you to save your life, you have to win a pro PGA tournament. You gotta go against Tiger Woods and all the best, and you gotta win. Every single time. You got it, Santa. You're go you jumped ahead, but I like where you're going. You can give me better clubs. You can give me coaching. You can give me better nutrition. You can do all those things. Now, I might even win one. I'll give myself that, okay? I'm not even going to win one. But what if you said, even if you won one, you got to win the next one and the one after that. No matter how much I do my best, no matter how much I'm going to try my hardest, my best is not going to be good enough. And my scorecard isn't going to cut it. Now, folks, all illustrations break down. And I am trying to be a bit funny, but I am trying to prove a point that the human nature goes, I want to cheat so that I look better than others. And sometimes the two extremes, this is what Paul's saying, we can overestimate how good we are. I'm the best golfer in here, by far. Most of you don't even own clubs. Most of you haven't even been golfing before. You didn't even have a dad who golfed. You didn't even have a dad who got a hole in one twice. I'm better than all of you. Sign me up to the PGA. We overestimate how good we're doing, or we're just totally like, man, I'll never win a tournament. And we're depressed and discouraged and we just give up because there's no way. Paul's saying in Philippians, he's revealing that none of us can put confidence in our best. Whether we think we are the best or whether we think we are the worst. Paul's saying, I had the best scorecard and the best resume and my best was not good enough compared to God's standard and God's judgment. Paul, other places, says, I was the worst of sinners. I persecuted, I killed Christians. 
and there's no way I deserve a relationship with God going to heaven. Both are not acceptable to God. And I think in our culture, we're more shocked that good people and our best is not good enough. And Paul says, but there's good news. Folks, there's good news. There is good news. Paul says, the good news is this. There's a way in which we can have a relationship with God and that God pronounces us right with him. That's what righteousness is. We're talking about that word. That God says there's a righteousness, there's a right standing. We can get access to God, not by our best, but God's best came to us. And we just sang about it this morning, didn't we? Over and over again. Jesus stepped down from heaven. You who were rich became poor. You were born in the dirt. God came to us. God gave us his best because our best is not good enough. Paul says it is the righteousness, it's the right standing with God that comes from God. This righteousness comes and it proceeds from God. It's his reward. It's his treasure. God has made for us a way to be right with God in which God is satisfied that the sin that separates us from God, that we could never get right by our own works. Paul says that there's a great substitution. Jesus is our great substitute. Alec Moiter, I'll quote him one more time and we'll end with this. It says, Jesus' words, think about Jesus' words, Jesus' teachings, his inner character, his outward deeds, the works he accomplished, his relationships, his attitude to himself, and his obedience to God, the absolute completeness of all he was, taught and did. Jesus is the righteousness of God. Therefore, Jesus is the only substitute to stand in our place, accept our condemnation and shame, and receive the penalty due us. God sent his best. Jesus came to us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. And it's good news. Just as Jesus became totally identified with us in our sin, so in Jesus, we become totally identified with his righteousness. It's like Jesus takes our scorecard and puts his score in our place. And we can go, here's my scorecard, and it has Jesus written all over it. And God is satisfied. Whew! That is good news. Gary's favorite verse. You can clap on that one, absolutely. Quoting Gary's favorite verse, 1 Corinthians 1.30. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. It's the total package. Our wrongs, our shortcomings, our failures, our sins are laid on Jesus, and his righteousness is accounted to us. And what do we have to do? What do we have to do? We have to say, I believe it, and I receive it. Paul says this, this righteousness that comes from God, how do we obtain it? 
Do we strive? Is it our performance? Paul says it's through faith in Jesus Christ. It's I'm choosing to believe Jesus. Your score is going to be accounted to me. I believe it and I receive it with thanksgiving and I'm going to live in the good of it. Gone are the efforts of trying to get right with God via our own law-keeping, our own attempts of legalism, the anxiety, and guys, I and gals, I had this for years, the anxiety of not knowing, have we done enough for God to be pleased with me? Have I done enough? That's all done away with. Folks, Jesus doesn't come to us through our efforts. Jesus isn't like the prize standing at the top rung of the ladder of, if I work hard enough, if I do my best, I'm going to get the prize of Jesus. Faith means we abandon works and efforts to earn salvation, and God pledges his promised righteousness to those who will stop trying to save themselves. Faith in Jesus Christ alone, we rely upon the very Son of God himself to bring us home, accepting to God. Our best always falls short. So God gave his best, Jesus. Jesus' score is written on our scorecard. And next week, Mark will take a look at, because some of the questions came up from last week, and we'll just give you a little snippet, and then we'll pick it up next week. Paul then says, we're going to persevere. We're going to work through suffering. So some last week were like, are we supposed to read our Bible? Are we supposed to pray anything? Yes, we are. But anything we do that we're doing it because our motive is to get right with God isn't the right motivation. We get right with God through Jesus Christ. And then, as Gabby was saying, we open up God's word and we're like, feed me truth. We want to pray. God, I want to talk to you about all these different, it's a different motivation, a different starting point. Paul, or Mark will pick that up next week. So as we end, and I'll get the worship team to come here in a second, How's your scorecard before God? If you're honest with yourself, and maybe you want to take some time today or this week, what, is, what am I actually, what's my motivation before God? How do I actually have confidence that I can know God? How can I have confidence I'm going to heaven? How can I have confidence that God, as I said, not only wants to have a relationship with me, God actually loves me and cares for me and wants to speak to me. Have you overestimated your goodness? Have you overestimated your best? Or do you realize, but you're just, so I'm out, I'm at the bottom of the pack, I'm at the bottom of the scoreboard, that you've just given up and God would never want anything to do with me. The good news for you and I, when we fall short, when we're shamed, when we're disqualified, when we think we've done well, when we think we've done our best, God takes both and says, come to my son, Jesus. That in Christ, by faith, that's leaning heavily on Christ's performance, we can exchange our best for God's best. We can be right with God. We can have peace with God. We can have a new relationship with God. We can have eternal life with God. So this morning, here, online, if you're a Christian, can I encourage you, this is maybe a reminder this week can you give thanks for what jesus has done and maybe we need to adjust some things in our thinking and our living 
to have that starting foundation that I'm right with God because of Jesus, not my best. And maybe some of you, I don't know everyone here this morning, I don't know everyone who will be watching online. Today, maybe even now in the next five minutes, some point this week, you want to just take a sober assessment. And are you lining up your life on your own scorecard? And I don't want you to miss out the opportunity to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord today, this week. We can exchange our best for God's best. Amen. Father, I just pray right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray for those who maybe don't know you yet, maybe don't have confidence that they can say, I have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and reveal? Would you come and let these words sink in? Would you come and just show Jesus in his glory, in his saving power? Father, I pray for those of us who know you already, God, would you remind us of the foundation of grace? Would you remind us of the foundation that we're in Christ because of your mercy and grace, that you've provided right standing with you through Jesus and not our efforts? Lord, I pray for people today to exchange their best for God's best, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, if you're able, why don't we stand and we're going to sing a song in response to these great truths that declare what we've just been talking about, and let's sing it with truth and ownership of who we are in Christ.